All right, I'm Michael. I'm Hotel founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecture writer, and historian. So I was around the corner at a St. Clement's Church speaking at their Juneteenth celebration. Hey, Melanie, how you doing? All right, uh, so how many people have heard me speak before? Okay, good, good. So this uh, today I'm going to speak for about 30 minutes. And what I want to do is... Um, I want to speak really for about 20 minutes, and then I want to open up for questions and answers if I can, because understanding the learning process, oftentimes we learn more from, from answering questions than just listening. So I want to engage the audience as well. So Crystal uh, contacted me, and uh, she wanted me to talk some about the history of Juneteenth, which I've been doing all week. And uh, also, we're going to talk, uh, connect this to the transatlantic slave trade as well because all of this history is connected. Okay, so uh, I've done uh, a number of media interviews uh, this week dealing with uh, Juneteenth, and I was on the uh, uh, Tammy Mac uh, show on Fox Business Soul, uh, the streaming service on Wednesday, and uh, we were talking about uh, Juneteenth as a federal holiday. Now, is that a good thing or bad thing? And when I teach about Juneteenth, and I have a two-and-a-half-hour lecture dealing with the real history of Juneteenth, so my table is going to be set up over here. Be sure to come support the African History Network because that helps finance what I do and helps me stay independent as much as possible and keep the bills paid and the lights on. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's, that's where the money comes from. Um, when I talk about the history of Juneteenth, even though it's a federal holiday, and that's a good thing, there's a lot of misinformation floating around about the history of Juneteenth. And I saw a lot of misinformation last year in the media. Uh, so I want to try to correct some of that history. So uh, some of that misinformation. So June 19, 1865, what we celebrate is Juneteenth. Sometimes it was called Jubilee Day. Sometimes it was called Emancipation Day. That commemorates June 19, 1865, when Major General Gordon Granger goes into Galveston, Texas. He arrives at the beach in Texas the day before with about 2,000 Union troops, okay? And they're there to enforce what's known as General Order Number 3, which is enforcing the Emancipation Proclamation, but also, and maybe even more importantly, to take back physical control of the state of Texas because Texas seceded from the Union during the Civil War. Texas was part of the Confederacy. So you have, you, it, takes a, it took a military force to take control of Texas and, to, and bring it back under Union control. That's what he was there to do. And he also delivered General Order Number 3, which basically said, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it basically said that the enslaved Africans there in Texas, there were about 250,000 of them, that they were free based upon the Emancipation Proclamation, and um, that uh, they should stay on the plantations and negotiate wages with their former slave owners. Okay? Now, there's a couple of, there's a few problems with the way this history is presented. Number one, now let me do my disclaimer. If you've heard me speak before, you know I say this disclaimer. I may say some things that are outside the circumference of your own awareness. Just because you never heard them before, disagree with them, does not mean that they're not true. It just means you may have to do some research to understand what I'm talking about. So first of all, we were taught, most of us were taught in school that the Emancipation Proclamation freed the slaves. Okay, however, who, who has ever read the Emancipation Proclamation? It's at archives.gov, which is the U.S. National Archives. 
I spent a lot of time. I, I spent a lot of time doing research at archive.gov. Is at loc.gov, which is the Library of Congress website. They have all types of historical information and documents there. I do a lot of research at loc.gov. Who's ever read the Emancipation Proclamation? Okay. Now, how many of us were taught in school the Emancipation Proclamation freed the slaves? Okay. Now, how many of us know that's false? That the Emancipation Proclamation did not free the slaves. Okay. Now. If you read it, this is why I tell people, see, proper documentation ends all conversation. You don't have to believe a word that I say. Go research, research this for yourself. If we read the U.S. Constitution, if we read the Emancipation Proclamation, if we read the Declaration of Independence, if we read the 1964 Civil Rights Act, then a lot of this stuff we will understand, because unfortunately many African Americans don't understand history, don't understand law, and most Americans don't understand history, don't understand law, don't understand the Constitution either. The Emancipation Proclamation was a military strategy that Abraham Lincoln used to bring the South back into the Union. The goal was not to free the slaves. Lincoln was trying to keep the Union together. It was that the preliminary Emancipation Proclamation was issued September 22, 1862, the year before. How many people know this? And how many people know? Raise your hand if you knew this. Okay. What it stated was the territories or states in rebellion that seceded from the Union and were part of the Confederate States of America, what we call the Confederacy. It stated that they had until January 1st, 1863 to come back into the Union, otherwise their slaves were going to be set free because their slaves were their greatest resource that they had. They were the, they were the foundation of their wealth. When you read the statements of secession from like Mississippi and Texas and, and Alabama, things like this, they talked about how central to their way of life and their wealth their African slaves were. So. They didn't, they didn't come back into the Union, so he issues the Emancipation Proclamation January 1st, 1863. The problem is, is that Lincoln, and this was an executive order, the problem is Lincoln had no authority to tell the Confederacy to do anything because they seceded from the Union. They set up their own government. They set up their own constitution. They set up their own monetary system. That would be like Great Britain telling the United States that separates, uh, and you had the American Revolutionary War, 1775, 1783, Declaration of Independence, July 4, 1776, all of this, that's like Great Britain ordering the U.S. to do something. It's like, wait a second, this is our own sovereign government. You can't tell us to do anything. So they had no authority to do it. Now, it also, the Emancipation Proclamation also stated that the border states, it didn't apply to the border states. So Maryland, Missouri, Kentucky, and Delaware were states that stayed loyal to the Union. They were allowed to keep their slaves, okay? When you study Maryland, Maryland did not free its slaves to November 1st, 1864. That's almost two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. So, I, like this morning, I was getting ready to uh, uh, speak uh, around the corner at St. Clement's Church and then come over here. I was watching MSNBC, Ali Belshi's show, and they're talking about Juneteenth, and they said the Emancipation Proclamation freed the slaves, and, this, and, and they said, oh, the black people in, in Galveston, Texas, found out two and a half years later. And I'm, I'm sitting there. And I know it's Sunday morning, but I was cussing at the TV. I can't, I, I'm just, I can't lie. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, who did the historical research for this? This is false. Okay? So I'm all, I don't want people to misunderstand me. I'm all for celebrating Juneteenth. But when we come together and celebrate Juneteenth, we have to correct the history of Juneteenth, and we have to protect the history of Juneteenth. We also have to protect it and make sure white corporations don't pimp Juneteenth. Okay? So we have to have enough respect for ourselves to go after them when they try to pimp Juneteenth as well. Okay, so 
one, the Emancipation Proclamation did not free the slaves. It's going to, it's going to lead to slavery ending, okay? And what happens is as the Union troops go throughout these Confederate territories, they're taking back control of these territories. But it takes, it takes military force to do this. Now, it's going to be the 13th Amendment. It's going to be the 13th Amendment. Yeah, let me have water, brother. Thank you. It's going to be the 13th Amendment, which is ratified December 6, 1865, which is going to legally um, end slavery, chattel slavery, in this country. And that amends the U.S. Constitution because the U.S. Constitution sanctions slavery. Article 4, Section 2 of the U.S. Constitution uh, laid the foundation for the Future Slave Act of 1793 and the Future Slave Act of 1850. We know Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 of the U.S. Constitution what people call a three-fifths compromise, which is really misunderstood. It did not say we're three-fifths of a human being. It was, anybody ever read the U.S. Constitution? Raise your hand. Is there, anybody ever read the U.S. Constitution? We all should read the U.S. Constitution because it's just directly related to law today. If we, if we understood the U.S. Constitution, if we understood the law, we could flip all this stuff overnight because then we would see why our votes are being suppressed. Okay? It's just like um, you had people who didn't understand the law January 6, 2021, and they said the president invited us here to the Capitol. Well, the president's house is the White House, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. He has no control over the U.S. Capitol building. That's the legislative branch of government. That's a co-equal branch of government. The powers of the, exec the, uh, the powers of the executive branch are in Article 2. The powers of the legislative branch are in Article 1. He has no authority to invite you to the Capitol building. That's why you were trespassing. But if you had read, you wouldn't be catching the case right now. This is this is what happened. So there was an article from um, CBS News. Uh, they did a segment, CBS This Morning, January 19th, 2021. I talk about this on my show a lot. It deals with how most Americans don't know what's in the U.S. Constitution. And they went out on the street, and they talked. Most of the people they talked to were white. And they were asking them things, you know, how many members of the House of Representatives are. Are we in the airport? Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, that's right. So they were asking them questions like, how many members in the House of Representatives are? They were asking them basic questions. Uh, most Americans, most people can answer questions. There was a uh, study that came out about 2018. It's like a Gallup poll or something like that. Alabama.com has this article, AL.com. You can research this. Almost two-thirds of Americans could not name the three branches of the federal government. Judicial, executive, and legislative. Almost two-thirds. One in five Americans cannot name one of the three branches of government. Okay, that's schoolhouse rock. I'm going to build on Capitol Hill. I learned that like watching Saturday morning TV in the 1970s. Right, right. Okay, but this, this is how dumbed down the American electorate is. So when it comes to understanding history, this is why most Americans don't understand history. There was an article that came out from New York Times um, from... June 16, 2021, so this is the day before President Joe Biden signed the bill into law. It, we know it passed the House of Representatives, passed the U.S. Senate, sponsored by Representative Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas, who is also the, uh, the sponsor of H.R. 40 as well in the House of Representatives. This article, everybody should read this, New York Times, most Americans know little or nothing about Juneteenth poll fines. So this poll that was done by Gallup found that about 62% of Americans at the time knew nothing at all or, or, or a little bit about Juneteenth. Now, I would argue, now they go on to say, the holiday celebrating the end of slavery in the United States. Slavery didn't end in June, on Juneteenth, on June 19, 18, okay? And one of the reasons why I didn't, 
reasons why slavery didn't end then is because some of the slave owners in Texas, not just Galveston, but some of the slave owners in Texas somehow kept the word away from their slaves or didn't abide by it if they got the word and kept them enslaved for an additional year. One of those slave owners was named Martha Gibbs. Not Marla Gibbs, not 227, there's no place now at home, I mean no place child, not Marla Gibbs. I'm talking about Martha Gibbs. Martha Gibbs was a white slave owner from Mississippi. She leaves Mississippi and takes her African slaves into Texas at gunpoint. Texas was a safe haven for many slave owners because Texas was more removed from battles of the Civil War and there was less of a Union presence in Texas. So you had slave owners from, around, from surrounding southern states who fled into Texas with their slaves. Okay? Martha Gibbs was one of them. Well, she kept her enslaved Africans to the following year, 1866. She didn't care, she didn't care about the uh, Emancipation Proclamation, none of that stuff. That didn't mean nothing, that, that didn't mean nothing to the, just like the, just like the domestic terrorists, laws don't mean nothing to them. Okay? Wink, wink. Laws don't mean nothing to them. That didn't mean nothing. That didn't mean nothing to them. Those are those are their those are their descendants that stormed the U.S. Capitol building. Okay. All this is tied back to the Civil War Reconstruction. All this history is connected. Okay. All right. So you're going to have some that are still enslaved to 1866. Now it's important to celebrate Juneteenth. Why? Because Juneteenth is a celebration of freedom. Okay, and they had they had celebrations. If you read some of the slave narratives, they had celebrations when they got to work uh, in, in in 1865, January, uh, June, uh, June 1865. Now it's also important to understand that Major General Gordon Granger is going to go through various parts of Texas for a number of days, delivering General Order Number Three. June 19th is the date that was agreed upon to celebrate as when they got the news. But all, all the African slaves in Texas did not get the news on that date. They, they go through for a number of days and deliver the news also. So June, Juneteenth is a celebration of freedom. It's not our Independence Day because we weren't independent. We still ain't independent today because about 97% of African Americans were for white people. Okay? Now I'm not saying go quit your job. That, that'd be, that's, that's economic suicide. I'm not saying quit your job, but I'm saying that's not Independence Day. That's Emancipation. You can say Emancipation Day. You can say Freedom Day. But no, we weren't. We weren't independent then. We still not, We're still not independent now. It's a more important holiday. It's a more important holiday for African Americans than the Fourth of July, or what Dr. Shaka Musabera Shango called the Fourth of July. Y O U L I E. He wrote the books. Uh, African people and European holidays of mental genocide. How many people have read those books? Read those books, book one and book two, because it deals with the origins of all the European holidays that we've been taught to celebrate in this country, including the 4th of July. And we know 1776, you know, they're fighting for their freedom in the American Revolution, but at the same time, you're enslaving African people. You have this, you have this paradox, okay? All right, so, um, let me check on time. All right. So there are four components that have to be incorporated. When I teach about Juneteenth in the, in the interviews, media interviews I did, and also Ken Coleman interviewed me for Bridge Detroit. Uh, he did an article that came out Friday, I think it was, dealing with Juneteenth. He interviewed me for that, uh, bridgedetroit.com. There are four components that I think have to be incorporated into any of these Juneteenth celebrations, which we should have, because usually 
uh, I'm in Atlanta for their three-day Juneteenth Parade and Music Festival. I'm usually speaking there, and I'm a vendor. They have thousands of people that come through. They have at least 100 vendors each year, 100 black vendors, Caribbean vendors, African vendors, things like this. One, we have to incorporate history. We have to teach the real history of Juneteenth, what it was, what it was not, teach the history of the Civil War and why the Civil War happened, okay? Because they're trying to keep the Union together. South Carolina was the first state to secede from the Union December 20th, 1865, about six weeks after Abraham Lincoln becomes president-elect for, for, for the newly formed Republican Party. Because the Republican Party wasn't founded in 1854, okay? Uh, somebody called into my show, he tried, to be, he tried to be a wise guy, he called into my show a couple weeks ago, he said, which, which political party owes reparations to black people? I said, well, you do realize for the majority of the time slavery existed in this country, you didn't have a Democratic or Republican Party. The Democratic Party wasn't founded in 1828. They were called Jacksonian Democrats, named after um, President Andrew Jackson. The Republican Party was founded in 1854 as a backlash to the Kansas-Nebraska Act because they were, uh, it was a backlash to the spread of slavery in the Kansas and Nebraska territories. So the majority of the time that you have slavery in the history of this country, you don't have a Republican or a Democratic Party. And many of the founding fathers, even though they may have been slave owners, many of them were against political parties because they thought it caused division in the country. So you're talking about reparations largely coming from the federal government, okay, regardless of political party. But you have to have a historical component to correct the history, protect the history, and do with the real history of the Civil War, Juneteenth, and the Reconstruction era. Reconstruction is extremely important, 1865 to 1877. The Reconstruction era is taught very little in our schools, K-12. through There was a um, article from um, Time Magazine, time.com, January 12, 2022, six days after the uh, January 6th insurrection, which was the insurrection was a continuation of the Civil War and the political violence that brought about an end to Reconstruction. A new report finds that 45 states are failing to teach students about the period that shaped race relations after the Civil War. They're talking about Reconstruction. And in this article, they talk about how Reconstruction, understanding Reconstruction is directly related to the police violence we see today in the, in the murder of George Floyd, May 25th, 2020, the voter suppression laws enacted, especially after African-American voters uh, voted in the 2020 election to elect uh, President Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, but also the January 5th senatorial election in Georgia, because that's what really infuriated a lot of people, okay? The reason why it infuriated a lot of people it wasn't just because John Ossoff won, and he's a Democrat, and he defeated Richard Perdue, uh, David Perdue. It's because, it's because Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock defeated Kelly Loeffler, and he became the first U.S. Senator from Georgia. People don't understand how monumental that was what he did. What he did was beat the system. What I mean by beat the system, I'm not talking about the mail-in ballot system that Republicans voted in the office in 2005 in Georgia. I'm talking about the 1963 law in Georgia championed by uh, Denmark Gruber, who was a segregationist Democrat in the state legislature in Georgia, which is why you have the runoff election law today in Georgia. That goes back to him because they were trying to keep African Americans from having statewide power in Georgia. So to keep them from winning a statewide election, like senator, like governor, secretary of state. The reason why they did that was because in the primary election, 
if all the African Americans threw their votes behind one African American candidate, and then you had two or three or four white candidates, well then the African American candidate could win. So they created this runoff election, so if nobody got 50% of the vote, then they could have a do-over, and all the white people, regardless of political affiliation, could throw all their votes behind one white candidate and defeat the African American candidate. This is why you have the state runoff election right now in Georgia. Well, what Reverend Raphael Warnock did, and Stacey Abrams, and the New Georgia Project, and St. Ufa, and all the activists, they beat the system. This infuriated the white supremacists because they said this is not supposed to happen. So what does Georgia do? Then they passed Senate Bill 202 to change the laws, and then, and then Republicans wanted to repeal the same absentee ballot law that they voted in the law in 2005. Because what happened was, we started learning the law, so we used the mail-in ballot law to our advantage and beat them in the system that they created. They said, oh no, now it's all, all, all of a sudden now it's all this fraud, it's, all, it's, it's a whole big problem. Right. You used it for 15 years to vote your people into office. Now we learn the law, now all of a sudden you want to change the law. Okay, so this is much bigger than just one election. This is just much bigger than just one person. This is actually understanding, fighting against a system of white supremacy and racism. So read this article from time.com. Um, and Juneteenth also connects us to the transatlantic slave trade, or the Great Ma'afa, as Dr. Marimba Ani calls it, who wrote the book Yerugu, an African-centered critique of European cultural thought and behavior. The Ma'afa is a key Swahili term, which means the great disaster refers to our Holocaust, the transatlantic slave trade, because our Holocaust is different than other people's Holocaust. I don't have a problem with talking about other people's Holocaust. We can talk about the Holocaust of Jews. Now, when we talk about the Holocaust of Jews, you also have to talk about the killing of 50,000 Afro-Germans. Because Hitler also killed 50,000 Afro-Germans. Somehow that gets left out of the conversation. January 27th is the National Day of Remembrance of the, of the uh, Jewish Holocaust. Okay? And it's January 27th because it was January 27th, um, 1945, I think it was, when um, the Soviet troops go into uh, Poland and liberate the, uh, the Holocaust survivors from the Auschwitz uh, concentration camps, Auschwitz 1, 2, and 3. That's why it's on January 27th. So I was reading articles from the from uh, Associated Press. I was reading coverage about the National Day of Remembrance of the Holocaust, January 27th. I'm like, why don't y'all talk about the Afro-Germans who were killed? That's part of the Holocaust also. We totally get left out of that conversation. Well, if we don't understand that history, we don't understand how to interject ourselves into that history. So Juneteenth also connects us to the transatlantic slave trade, which we see starts formally, most sources say 1441 with Anton Gonzalez going into uh, present-day Mauritania, capturing about 12 Africans. But we know there's historical events that lead up to that happen. happening. It doesn't just fall out of the sky. This goes back to the, the conflicts and the wars that the African Moors are having in Europe with Europeans. Mm -hmm. And the Moors intermixing into European society and losing control of, of various areas that they control, like Al-Andalus in uh, the southern portion of Spain. And we see this backlash. Now, the Moors are taking the teachings from ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt, the Nile Valley region of Africa, into Europe. They bring Europe out of the Dark Ages. These teachings saved Europe. If they had not been for the Moors, you, 
Europe probably would, would have been totally devastated by the Black Death, the bubonic plague, in 1347 to 1400. Europe loses between one quarter to one third of the population. Estimates are somewhere between 25 million to 75 million people. But the Moors introduced science. They introduced uh, new types of nautical instruments. They introduced the periodic tables. They introduced something they call alchemy. Today we call it chemistry. Al, A L Al is the Arabic prefix. Algebra, alcohol, alchemy, things like this. They're introducing different types of surgical instruments. They're creating standards for physicians, for physicians to pass. Okay, the uh, the University of Salamanca in Spain, which is built by African Moors and Arabs, about 1285 A.D. Okay, so they're introducing uh, in a lot of the early universities in Europe, a lot of those professors are going to be Moors. So all these things that we taught them, taught Europeans, came back to kick us in behind. Moors are going to introduce uh, cotton and sugar around the ninth century and tenth century. No first plantations. The Spanish especially are going to set up when they start conquering lands like islands, island lands like uh, Jamaica. And thank you, brother. Oh, okay, thank you. Like Jamaica, like Jamaica and uh, Hispaniola, things like this are going to be sugarcane plantations because sugarcane uh, requires a warm tropical area to grow in. All right. So when we go from the uh, beginning of the transatlantic slave trade, and then we see the English get involved in 1562 with John Hawkins and the good ship Jesus and things like this. We see the triangular trade created. We go, we go throughout history. We're going to see resistance all throughout. We see here, even in this land, I know, I know people talk about August 20th, 1619. One, it's important to understand that African people were here in this land uh, that we call the United States of America going back at least 51,700 years ago. Uh, if you read the book, how many people are familiar with Dr. David M. Hotep, who wrote the book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. So he's a friend of mine. I've interviewed him probably 13, 14 times. His book, has seven, his first book has 713 footnotes. It thoroughly documents an African presence in this country going back at least 51,700 years ago, the Khoisan. The Khoisan have the oldest DNA on the planet. They come from Southern Africa. They go all around the world. They're the ancestors to that new and the Twat. The Twa are derisively or derogatorily called pigs in European anthropology and archaeology. They go all, all around the world, the short statured Africans. So, yes, African people circumnavigated the globe. Yes, we were already here. But the, that does not mean the transatlantic slave trade did not happen. Now, the Spanish are the second ones involved in the transatlantic slave trade. They're bringing Africans into the territory we call in the South Carolina, Georgia area in 1526. This is 93 years before 1619. So even though people talk about 1619, you have to deal with that history before then. You have to talk about Juan Garrido, who, who, who's, uh, who was born in West Africa in 1480. He comes into Florida in 1513 with the Spanish conquistador Juan Ponce de Leon. It's going to be Juan Ponce de Leon who names Florida, who gives Florida's name in Spanish, which means it has some reference to flower. This is what the word Florida comes to. Well. Juan Garrido is probably the first African we know of by, length, by name who comes to this land we call the United States of America. This is long before 1619. So even though 1619 is important to understand and understand it in the proper context, that's not when we first came to this land, but that's part of the transatlantic slave trade. Now, August 20, 1619, when the, when the White Lion pirate ship, you have the White Lion and the Treasure, two English pirate ships that come into 
Virginia, basically point, point, point comfort there in Virginia. How much, how much time? I, uh, I'm at 27, I'm at 28 minutes, uh, Crystal. How am I on time? Okay, so when these two English pirate ships come in, and you have 29 Africans who are exchanged for food and water and supplies, right? At this time in 1619, did you know codified slave laws don't exist in any of the 13 colonies? Did y'all know this? Y'all didn't know this? No. Oh, you have to bring me out here to speak more often. Yeah. Who's read Before the Mayflower by Laurent Bennett Jr.? Because he breaks some of this down in Chapter 2. Chapter 2, 6th edition, right around page 40, he talks about the names that African people had in this land. When Europeans got here, they were called Moors. They were called Nagers, N-E-G-E-R-S, Nagars, N-E-G-A-R-S, and um, um, uh, Blackamoors, okay? The word Negro really wasn't used for us at that time. He's talking about in the 1600s, all right? So, and he's talking about the presence of the Moors here when Europeans got here. And then at that time, also in the colonies, the people who we call white people, they weren't referred to as white. They were referred to as either Christians or, the, or Englishmen, okay? So they're exchanged for food and, and water supplies. They're put into a form of indentured servitude for about three to five years and released from that. Some of them go on to own land. You're going to have some Africans who come here, either willingly or unwillingly, who end up owning white indentured servants also. That's a whole other conversation. Some people don't want to have that conversation. Don't know why, but that's part of the history. Lerone Bennett Jr. breaks this down in Chapter 2 of Before the Mayflower. Okay, so this is Juneteenth connects us to the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, the first colony to have uh, codified slave laws is going to be Massachusetts, 1641. They come to Virginia about 1660, 1661. The laws are coming to different colonies at different times. Different colonies had their own laws, okay? Um, so some of the slave ships, and I, I was looking at some information from nationalarchives.gov for the UK. Some of the slave ships, the Triton had 150 African slaves, the Antelope, uh, 230, the Juno, 250, the Alexander, 450, uh, the Baltimore, 280, uh, the Polly, 400, the Jason, 360. Uh, we know the Good Ship Jesus, 1562, uh, John Hawkins, who becomes later Sir John Hawkins of Plymouth, England, had 300 uh, Africans as well. And we know that uh, the Transatlantic Slave Database estimates there's about 12 million Africans uh, that are going to be taken out. Now, that's, that's probably a lowball number. We know the people, Dr. John Henry Clark, put the number in about 100 million. Dr. W.B. Dubois put the number close to about 100 million or so. But whatever number we deal with, we have to also understand this chronology of history as well, okay? So, and it's also important to understand that we fought slavery every step of the way. In this country and in Africa, there were wars that were fought. There's a good book by Sylvian Dioff called Fighting, um, Fighting the Slave Trade, West African Strategies. Fighting the Slave Trade, West African Strategies. And this book deals with the different types of strategies that we used in West Africa to fight against these European colonizers and fight against the transatlantic slave trade as well, okay? So um, here, in, here in this country, you're going to have somewhere around 250 physical slave rebellions taking up arms. We know about Nat Turner, 1831, Southampton, Southampton County, Virginia, and others. We know about the Stone of Rebellion, 1639, in South Carolina. There were other forms of resistance, however, 
learning to read and write was a form of resistance. Because one of the things that we did when we learned to read and write is wrote our own freedom papers and ran away. That's what some of us did. We wrote our own freedom papers and ran away. Because a lot of the slave patrollers that you encounter on the roads, a lot of them were poor white men who were illiterate. They couldn't read or write. So you can, you can give them any papers and say, these are, these are my freedom papers. Or a travel pass or something like that. Learning to read and write was a form of resistance. Having uh, work slowdowns, slowing down the pace of work was a form of resistance. Poisoning white people's food was a form of resistance, okay? Uh, destroying tools or sabotaging tools, maiming oneself, cutting off toes, something like that. Those are different forms of resistance that we engaged in as well. Okay, so when we have these celebrations, we, it's important for us to invoke the ancestors as well, and the brother did the uh, libations, which brings in the power and the energy of our ancestors, and it helps reconnect us to our ancestors uh, also. And once again, I'm going to wrap up with this and we can open up for questions if we can. But um, when we have these celebrations dealing with Juneteenth, it's important to correct the history and protect the history of Juneteenth and deal with history, political education, economic empowerment, as well as law. Okay, so I want to thank you for your attention. I want to wrap it up there. Usually I end my presentations. Right now, it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. Wakanda forever. And because uh, Wakanda is a real word, comes from the Omaha Ponca, Sioux Indian language means it possesses secret powers. It's also a bad two word. It's in Key Congo as well. So Wakanda is a real word. So Asante Sana, uh, I want to, can we open up for questions? Okay, let's open up for questions. Did you all learn anything? Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. And then I'm going to have my DVD lecture set up over here. Also, I'll be registering people for two 10-week online classes that I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, Saturdays is Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school, where we do a thousands of years of history. We do the sessions live, all the sessions are archived and recorded. You can watch it a year from now, two years from now, it'll still be there. Sundays, I teach from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968, which gets deep into this history, dealing with Juneteenth, Civil War, Reconstruction, all that history. Okay, any questions? When did, when did it end? Um, well, it, it ends about eight, right around 1888 in Brazil. Yeah, right around that time, 1888 in Brazil. Yep. Any other questions? Yes, Crystal. And thanks for inviting me out here, Crystal, also. All right. In, uh, it was all throughout. Uh, at one time, all the 13 colonies had slavery. Right. Um, in Michigan, it's about 1837. Michigan abolishes slavery. Illinois abolishes 1818. Uh, Ohio is going to abolish slavery right around 1818. So, yeah, slavery was in all of the. Uh, Michigan was not one of the original 13 colonies, but even when you look at the 13 colonies, at one point, slavery was in all of the 13 colonies. So, you know that the, the reason why Wall Street has its name is because. Uh, when it was the colony of New Amsterdam, which was a Dutch colony about 1627, they forced the Africans to build a wall to keep Native Americans out. And then uh, New Amsterdam becomes a British colony called New York. So that wall is where Wall Street is today. That's where Wall Street gets its name. And it was African slaves who were traded originally on Wall Street, the physical Wall Street. Not the stock market, but the physical Wall Street. 
it was African slaves that were traded there, but that's where Wall Street gets its name from. So all the 13 colonies at one point had slavery. Yes, brother. Uh, Jim Reed here. Uh, are you familiar with the mounds on the Mount Washington? Yeah, so so you had uh, the mounds on Mount Road. So you had about a million mounds in this land we, we call the United States of America. Okay, and go ahead, bro. Um, the early, so you have mound builders. You have Native American mound builders. You have African mound builders. The Khoisan. Okay. Uh, now the the ones on Mount Road, I'm not. I've heard different things. I'm not sure who built those. Okay, but. Yes, at one point you had about a million miles in this land we call the United States of America. One today is somewhere I think about a hundred thousand. Dr. David M. Hotel talks about this as well. Um, Cahokia in East Illinois is the largest mound that still exists today. Okay, and these are the early, the early mound builders were African people. Now, yes, you did have Native Americans that built mounds. So I'm not trying to take, sometimes when we talk about African people being here first, even though people concede that African people were the first people on the planet, but then we talk about being here first in the U.S., then it causes a problem. I'm not taking anything away from Native Americans. And Native Americans, although I have Native American in my family, Cherokee, Blackfoot on my mother's side, she's from Tennessee. But uh, the people who we call Native Americans are the offspring of the intermixing of Africans who were here over 50,000 years and Asians who come here around 3,000 BC. And the Africans and Asians intermix in their offspring of who we call Native Americans. These were usually a dark-skinned people, okay? They weren't the very light-skinned, almost white-looking like Native Americans of some that you see today, okay? So when, we, when I talk about this history, I'm not trying to uh, denigrate Native Americans or take anything away from them, but it's, it's important for us to understand this chronology of history. Yes, go ahead, brother. I just thought of the third part of my question. Yeah. Are you familiar with Isaiah Henson? I, Isaiah Henson or Josiah Henson? Okay, Josiah. Okay, so Josiah Henson was a runaway slave from Maryland, and he ran away with his family, and he writes an autobiography. Josiah Henson is the real-life person that the fictitious character of Uncle Tom in Harriet Beecher Stowe's 1852 novel Uncle Tom's Cabin is based upon because she read his autobiography. He becomes a uh, abolitionist on the Underground Railroad, he becomes a Methodist minister and an educator. He and his family go up into Canada because, um, because of the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, which was the fifth bill of uh, five bills and what's known as the Compromise of 1850. The Compromise of 1850 is legislation that comes about to organize the land that the U.S. gets at the end of the uh, Mexican-American War. 1846-1848. So the U.S. gets the territory that today makes up California, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, and Nevada. Mm. California comes into the land as a free state in 1850. Okay, all that comes from Mexico as a result of the Mexican-American War. U.S. pays Mexico 15 million dollars. Mexico uses about loses about one third of their territory. So uh, the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 intensifies the abolition, abolitionist movement. It makes it more dangerous for runaway slaves to even live in the North because now it, it, it says that uh, all, all people have to work with the authorities to capture runaway slaves and return them to the slave owners. And they remove habeas corpus, which meant your right to a day in court. Previously, under the Fugitive Slave Act of 1793, the slave owner had to go to court and prove that that person was their slave. 
the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 takes away, takes away that and calls more runaway slaves to run into Canada. Okay, so Josiah Henson goes into Canada. So that's where uh, he was the uh, real life person that Uncle Tom is based upon. And Uncle Tom was not the um, not the way that the the, the 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 stereotype of Uncle Tom was that he was subservient to white people and things like this. Now that was Sambo. Sambo was the was a slave who followed the slave master Simon Legree around and told him where the slaves were hiding, who were running away, things like this. Uncle Tom was the slave who refused to beat black women. He was the slave who took cotton out of his sack, put it in the other slave sacks who didn't uh, meet their daily quota, things like that. That's who, that's who Uncle Tom was in the book, okay? There was a 1912 movie, about 1912, a short movie, about 30 minutes, that depicted Uncle Tom as being subservient to white people, docile, obedient. So that may be where the uh, the slur, the stereotype of Uncle Tom comes from. But that's not the Uncle Tom in the novel. And that's definitely not Josiah Henson. And that was written by Phyllis Wheatley. Right. Uncle Tom's Cabin was written by Harriet Beecher Stowe, 1852. Right. Now, Queen Khalifa, I've been doing research with Queen Khalifa. Now, some sources say she was a fictitious queen. Some say she was a real queen. I, I don't know whether she's fictitious or not. It's believed, believed in quote. Is believed that California is derived from her name. I don't know that for certain. Any other questions? Uh, okay, we'll, uh, we'll go over here and then go to this brother here. Yeah. Okay, um, so it depends upon how you're using the term indigenous. If you want to say, if you, uh, are you? Original. Okay, the original, okay. So when you say land contract, you're talking about treaties? Yes. Native Americans. My other question, my other question uh -huh. is, are you familiar with Dumb Diversus and yeah. the that uh, King James wrote? Because it well, Dumb Diversus is 1452. Okay, but that's before King James time. Right, I know that. Okay. But it's, it's still effective to this very day, right? Some decrees that happen in Dundai versus? I've heard people talk about how those decrees from the 15th century still affect us today. Now, I, I want to see them really explain to me the relationship. This is before the United States of America came into existence. Right. Okay, so... Uh, um, I, I, I'm familiar with the argument, but I want them to explain to me how does that apply to the U.S. today. I, I, I'm familiar with the argument. I'm familiar with a lot of arguments, okay? But... I, I, I don't under, I, I feel that I've looked at the information, but I feel to understand. So you have treaties like, um, you have treaties like, uh, I think it's about 1454, the uh, Treaty of Tordesillas, when the Pope divides Spain and Portugal. It's, I mean, the Pope sends Spain and Portugal out to divide the non-Christian world among Spain and right. Portugal, things like so this. That would affect us, right? No. We, we're 
But that's before you have a new United States government that has a constitution and a sovereign. Okay, so this, this might be a discussion. Michael, this is a, this is a discussion. We, get, we got a sidebar on that. Let's get to the We got a sidebar on that. Go ahead, All brother. Right. My other question yeah. if you don't mind. Go ahead. Um, are you familiar with the decrees of uh, King, King James? Which decrees of King James? Uh, the one that, that had us enslaved, the ones that had us from Ireland, brought from Ireland over uh -huh. here to America. I'm familiar with those uh, somewhat because Ireland was a colony of England. Ireland was Ireland was a colony of England. Right. Now, what, what about these decrees? So, um, wasn't there land contracts that was given to people that came from Ireland over here that uh, that had something to do with the seven-year uh, indentured servitude? There were people. There were people who entered entered into indentured servitude and then were awarded land afterwards. Some of them were of African descent also. In uh, chapter two of uh, Before the Mayflower belong, uh, by Lerone Bennett Jr., he talks about this as well. We can have a sidebar, because that's what my table is going to be. I want to get to some of these other questions. Yes, brother. I want to ask if you were uh, familiar with the different variations of the term slavery. And I bring that up simply because most of the things that we have been exposed to mm -hmm. through media, watching Mandingo, watching Django, watching Roots, right. show slavery in a particular light. I mean, there were white slaves. There, there, yes. there, there were, you had slavery in uh, Europe. You had slavery uh, in Slavic nations. Mm -hmm. You had, uh, you had, um, uh, uh, you had a slavery. Now, this is before, this wasn't chattel slavery, but you had slavery of Muslims enslaving Christians. Some of those Muslims were Moors, enslaving white Christians. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you had different types of slavery. The one, the one, the one here in the U.S. was a was a chattel slavery. Um, after now, not in 1619, chattel slavery didn't exist in the 13 colonies in 1619. But later, after it's going to be developed, um, you're enslaved for perpetuity. So your children are born into slavery. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're enslaved for perpetuity, which was which was different than other forms of slavery, even though other forms of slavery were wrong, mm -hmm. okay? But here, you're, uh, one, you're a slave because of, quote unquote, race, which is a, which is a made up construct, okay? Two, you're a slave for perpetuity, forever. So your children's children are born into slavery, all right? So it's, it's a different, it's a different concept. So, and this is, this has to be, a distinction has to be made because then, when we talk about repairing the damage of slavery, what some people call rest, uh, reparations, then the other people say, well, everybody has slavery. No, that, that was different than what happened here, and, that, and slavery was written into the U.S. Constitution. Mm -hmm. right. well, yeah. well, my point is, by showing what we've been exposed to media-wise, I made a personal trip to the plantation in New Orleans where, okay. where they filmed uh, Django. Uh-huh, Django Unchained. Yes, and they gave us a tour but explain slavery in that particular area. And they described it in a way that was much more different from what we have seen in the media. It was almost like slavery was, it was cooperation between the slaves and the slave owners. Mm -hmm. And they had rights mm -hmm. down there that were respected by law. Some um, different states had different laws and mm -hmm. different levels of slavery also. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, so in Virginia, it was legal for slaves to learn to read and write up until 1831. 1831 is when you had the Nat Turner Rebellion. Because Nat Turner was literate, and he could read and write, and he could read the Bible. And he used the Bible as a tool to teach his people that they should be free. 
So after, in that Turner Rebellion, after he was captured and executed, the state legislature passed a law to then ban teaching slaves to read and read write. So different colonies, different states at this point, states, different states did have different laws, okay? Uh, and you had states that, you know, abolished slavery before others. Massachusetts is one of them around, uh, somewhere around 1780. Vermont's going to be the first one, 1777. So there were different variations. It wasn't just like the same thing all throughout all the states. There were different variations based upon which state you're talking about. Okay. Any other questions? And then I'll be over on my table. So we have my DVD lectures. You can, you can register uh, for my online history classes. I teach on Saturdays and Sundays also. We have them at a discount. Yes. Could I have one question? One last question. Okay. Uh, now, um, to my understanding, there was a, a part of the, what they call the slave bi a Bible where the uh, uh, slave master would take a certain parts of the Bible and put them in text to uh, be allowed to, uh, uh, you know, to uh, teach the, uh, the slaves about slavery. You know, like be kind to your master, be honorable to your master. In other words, they would take certain segments out of the Bible to try to promote, you know, uh, you know, uh, the, yeah. uh, if you recall, the, uh, they call the slave Bible. They were allowed right. to preach those uh, parts of the Bible. Okay. In, very, in various states, yeah, you're going to have that, you're going to have that happen. And Lord, what should I name? This is uh, the book our children made. What, what, that one kid, he wanted to know what name should we give to this ship? <laughs> what name should we give to the ship? Right, yeah. Well, yeah, what do you think is a good name? Because I, I told him, I don't know, I, I said, definitely not Amistad. But, but what do you think? The Armistad comes to mind because those Africans won their freedom in the U.S. Supreme Court because the international transatlantic slave trade was abolished in uh, 1807 and went to effect January 1st, 1808. So that helps form a legal argument for reparations also, by the way. That's based upon Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1 of the U.S. Constitution. You call it the, you can call it the Amistad. You can, you can, you can, you can call it the, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the the the, uh, the, uh, the ship Kemet, you can call it uh, you can call it the Nile Valley, you can call it Wakanda, because <laughs> Wakanda means possessing secret powers in the Omaha and Paca, uh Sioux Indian languages. All right, is that all the questions? All right, uh, other questions you can ask me over on my table. Thanks for your attention. Be sure to come support the African History Network. This helps me keep doing the research, keep doing the radio stuff. I don't, I don't get paid to do radio. I'm on Willow Martin the Filter every Friday. I don't get paid to do none of that stuff. So some of the lectures, register people for the classes, any donations you want to support us with, that helps me keep doing this type of research, all right? So thanks for your attention. I appreciate it. Asante Sana Mod Hotel. Yes, brother. Well, I got some new stuff over here, too. Oh, thank you. I got some new stuff over here. You, get, you, get, you can get some for gifts also. If you got my DVD lecture, you can get it for gifts as well. Uh, as well. All right, thank you, Crystal. Thank you, brother. What's your name, brother? My name is uh, Gabriel. 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 All right, brother Gabriel. I appreciate it.